0: This is uh, It's Mental Podcast. Today we have our guest, Beer. Beer is um, a storyteller. I met at the Berlin Mental Health Festival, but I will let him to introduce himself. Beer. Yeah.
1: Hi, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Bill. And, uh, you know, there's so many different ways I could go in introducing mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, I often start by just saying I'm a, you know, a recovering addict living with bipolar, the um, rapid cycling kind. Mm-hmm. And um, but of course, you know, that is not the most interesting thing about a person who has mental health uh, conditions. Okay. So I'm uh, <clears throat> but I have become an advocate, which a lot of people mm-hmm. do. They they share their story to help others. And the power of that is kind of unparalleled, Um, both in myself, when I've seen other people sharing their story and how much it's helped me in my journey, it gave me less shame, more confidence that I could change and be a better person. Not a better person, it doesn't mean you're a bad person, but that I could learn how to enjoy life more. And then the same thing, when I do shows or tell a story and I reveal those things, People, uh, you know, people will come up and they'll say. I sometimes have people like see me two weeks later at a coffee shop, you know, and they'll come up and say thank you for your story mm-hmm. because they they know that feeling and it's not expressed very often in our society. Mm-hmm. So when somebody expresses it in a way they can relate to and that makes them realize they're not alone, they're not freaks, and their life isn't hopeless, then they really um, appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's a big part of what mm-hmm. I'm doing now.
0: Wow. Uh, so you talk about uh, you are a recovering addict. Uh, what kind of uh, substance were you addicted to?
1: uh hard drugs so i started with uh you know marijuana in my teens like a lot of people i joined the chess team in my high school and uh, they smoked a lot of marijuana really yeah The yeah the chess team knew how to party um, <laughs> and we were pretty good we were second in state the um
0: i saw the chess people use cocaine
1: <laughs> um that would probably we we might have won state if we okay. were using cocaine instead okay. of smoking weed okay. <laughs> um and then uh then later you know in my 20s uh late 20s early 30s around there I was really kind of out of control with uh, my bipolar which was uncheated and um that's when I started on hard drugs so uh you know crack cocaine and heroin shooting heroin so i went all the way to the hard drugs
0: wow you were doing heroin yeah how, how long did it last i didn't
1: do heroin that long i would say um in terms of like daily use not more than uh, a few weeks mm-hmm. but in terms of how long i was using it on and off uh, i would say it was another like maybe four years total
0: so you you spaced it out like uh, what what do you mean uh four years? You mean like during these four years you do it? Uh, I mean every the, year, a few months.
1: The heroin um, it would just depend on who I was partying with uh-huh. and if they had heroin um. Yeah, it was I didn't seek it out as much. Mm-hmm. It was more like if somebody had it mm-hmm. uh, then they would have me do it. They would often just. You know, people want you to do what they're doing. Like People mm-hmm. want you to feel the same as mm-hmm. them. So uh, so I think that was a big part of it. But, you know, it, it's not it's not the worst feeling in mm-hmm. the world. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously, it's a destroyer of lives. So mm-hmm. I don't mean to be you know cheeky and say, but it's but it's fun um, because it's really. Um, but it was not an unpleasant thing. That's mm-hmm. for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. How did you get a hook up on uh, crack cocaine and uh, heroin?
1: Um, it, it it was a woman, (laughs) uh, two maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that was really it. I was uh, very depressed. I was very suicidal at that time in my life. And I had just been coming off of a, uh, I had left my wife and, uh, but um, that's a longer story that we won't get into tonight. But the, um, but I had been, really in bad shape i had Mm -hmm. untreated bipolar and i was living in extremes and and i was very suicidal and uh i didn't care you know Mm -hmm. there's an attitude sometimes of uh that people who know suicidal ideation Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. if you're listening to this you don't need to be freaked out like Mm -hmm. i'm good i've been through this and when i talk about Mm -hmm. these dark emotions It's not sad to me. It's just my life. It's like other people talk about, you know, they had a car that broke down and they Mm -hmm. fixed it or whatever. It's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So (laughs) I just want the listeners to know Mm -hmm. this may strike some of you as heavy, but to me, it's really not. So, um, so that said, you know, I was very suicidal and sometimes suicidal people can get this attitude of, well, I'm going to be dead soon anyways. so why not do, you know, fill in the blank, do this thing. Uh And that was kind of where I was at. I mean, I really thought I was going to be dead, and so it didn't matter.
0: Uh, And uh, when were you diagnosed with uh, bipolar?
1: I was diagnosed with bipolar, um, I think a couple years, a year and a half or two after I started doing the hard drugs. So mm-hmm. then I went in for drug treatment and uh, while I was in therapy, uh-huh. well, I say I went in for drug treatment, there was a little bit of nudge from uh, law enforcement, uh, you know, um, in in the area. And, um, but I found a therapist I really liked and he diagnosed me as bipolar. And then I got, um, uh, you know, several more diagnoses <laughs> over the years of, of bipolar. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I didn't take it that seriously at first. And this is something that, you know, when I look back at my life and like, you know, what were, what were, (laughs) what were the poor choices, which is a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I sometimes think that I should have like my, you know, start a poor choices club like we mm-hmm. should have our own jackets or something because mm-hmm. uh, you know but one of the poor choices I made was when I was diagnosed with bipolar I, uh, I was so arrogant uh, this is very common for people with bipolar I was very arrogant and I thought okay I don't have a problem that I can't fix myself I was like I've got this. Don't you people? (laughs) I, you know, I mean, everybody else might need help, but I don't because I just thought I was so brilliant that I could like think my way out of it. Um, but it turns out that I wasn't able to, and so things got worse and I, I had, a, you know, I had a pretty rough go for a lot longer than necessary.
0: Um, what's, how it feels like to have bipolar, what's the main symptoms?
1: Um, the main symptoms for me may not be the same for everybody, mm-hmm. but there are sort of two extremes. Um, one is mania or hypomania, and mm-hmm. we can talk about that difference in, in if you're curious. Um, well, you probably know this, but we'll talk about it more. The, um, the, uh, and then the other is um, you know, depression, very, very severe depression. And so with the, um, the mania and the hypomania, it's like, uh, the hypomania, you feel very good and very invincible and very energetic. And like, for example, and your mind is working very, very fast and you can be very creative and very efficient, but, um, if you can focus, which isn't always that easy, but, uh, one thing that I learned and it took me a while to learn this like a lot of years that when you um if people are saying to me, "Hey, Bill, you're talking really fast," <laughs> that's a sign I might be getting kind of hypomanic. Or, or sometimes I'm like, "Why is everybody talking so slow? Like mm-hmm. my brain is working so fast. It's like, what, what? Uh, why are you people not keeping up when I'm when I'm hypomanic?" And then mania is a little bit different to me. You know, this is I don't know if these are entirely scientific definitions, but. I can have paranoid delusions. So I can think people are plotting against me when they're not, and it's not common. It doesn't happen a lot, Um, but it takes me a while to, it's taken a while over the years to just understand that my brain does that and then to compensate for it. So now, if I start to think somebody's, you know, plotting against me in some way, like a friend or a coworker, I'm like Bill. did you know, you know, this is a thing your brain does. It's not real. So, but it's taken a while for me to, you know, because you, you've got to go through like, first off, admitting that mm-hmm. you have a a brain that can do that, mm-hmm. and that it does things that you can't see when it's mm-hmm. doing them. So it can take a while. Um, so yeah, that was my journey around that. So and then the, the depressive end is very depressive, right? It's uh, Everything is hopeless. You think Mm -hmm. you are a terrible person and you think everything is hopeless and Mm -hmm. you want to die and uh, you contemplate it a lot. Because for people who suicidally ideate, um, it is a relief Mm -hmm. to imagine death. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, and you know, not everybody gets that. So <laughs> I'm not recommending suicidal ideation. I'm just saying this is a common thing that no. happens. And in fact, I had that same therapist who first diagnosed me when I first saw him, I told him that I woke up every morning, picturing um, killing myself. And I, I won't say the method because it sometimes... We're taught in advocacy not to say those exact details okay. because they can be triggering for people. I don't know if that's a valid point or not, but for that reason, I don't. And um, but he said to me, and this was this was so powerful. He said, um, "Yeah, well, it's giving you some relief, so go ahead and do it." <laughs> and I, I wasn't expecting that because everybody up to that point had said, you know. Uh, this is terrible. It must stop. You can't ideate. And I am not advocating ideating. I'm not a doctor. So if you're listening to this, please don't take this as a sign that you should dwell on dark but thoughts. Uh,
0: I read some studies. They also say actually talking about suicide, uh, about the details of suicide, actually make people less likely to suicide. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so as a friend, instead of saying, okay, I know you are suicidal, let's talk everything, but not that, it's actually not happening. Instead, of you say, oh, you want to suicide, why you want, what you want, and what's your plan, and to normalize it, and to, to destigmatize it, really? actually make you, uh, the person, less likely to actually do it.
1: It's a fine line because what happens and I think you're right and if I was if I knew I was talking to people who well, that's a really good point thank you I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that. I will say also when you're speaking to a group as mm-hmm. a public speaker or a storyteller yeah, or different. a comedian, <laughs> then it's different because what you have is like, You know, whatever percentage of people who can identify and then you have a large percentage of people who are just horrified. And I learned this when I started doing uh, this one man show, uh, Mm -hmm. becoming more or less crazy. And the the first times I did it, I would tell uh, I would tell the story of this suicide attempt where I was um, in my closet. And I was—I had built a noose out of an electrical cord, and uh, you know, I would. (laughs) This is so dark, but because you gave me permission, I'm going to share it.
0: But no, I didn't give you permission. I said uh, it's good you talk with friends, not uh, like in public. Okay, let's uh, let's move on.
1: (laughs) So, but the point is, Mm -hmm. right, that I would tell this story, and I realized quickly. Mm You can't do that for the public because yeah. it horrifies people. Yeah. So now I generally just skip over that. People mm-hmm. don't need to know that. They don't want to know it. And um, and so I generally just spare them that mm-hmm. because... Yeah. Th- you have to to communicate well with people you have to give them information in a way they can receive it yeah. and if they're freaked out mm-hmm. by what you just said mm-hmm. they can't receive whatever I, else you're giving them. I think
0: it's also about how you say it for example uh, there's a comedian near sofa. uh he he's a Jewish guy in Berlin doing dark comedy he talks about his suicide a lot but uh, uh, the way he talks about it is like uh, his suicidal thoughts uh, keeps asking him to to, to do it. He starts to like a uh, uh have a discussion with the suicidal thoughts and said okay how about let's uh, eat a pizza before we do it and then, <laughs> then then have some conversation, make some jokes with yeah. the suicidal thoughts. I uh, I think that's different than describe how much you want it, how much you well, but
1: see, I had jokes in there, but yeah. I've, I've learned not to, you can, even with uh-huh. jokes, you can't, you uh-huh. can't go that deep. Uh-huh. But that said, I think how you do it is mm-hmm. really important. And yeah. also part of that is putting mm-hmm. jokes in, but mm-hmm. part of it is just being really, really comfortable with mm-hmm. it. Right. So that you're talking mm-hmm. about it, but mm-hmm. you're not freaked out about mm-hmm. it. So that if people see you being comfortable and okay, mm-hmm. that helps them a lot. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, my next question, how long took it you to becoming sober? Uh,
1: 14 years from when I started using till I got completely sober. I would say the last uh, the last maybe six years I didn't use that much. But then it, it took 14 years total to get completely sober.
0: May I ask how old are you? Yeah, I'm 58. Uh, and uh, when you start to try to get sober?
1: Uh, I think I started to try to get sober just as soon as I started using, which Mm -hmm. was around, uh, I'm not sure if I have the numbers right here. This is adding up. Anyways, I'm not going to do the math right now, Mm -hmm. but uh, which was around uh, age 29, 30, somewhere in there.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But right away I wanted to quit and it's Mm -hmm. hard to quit. You Mm -hmm. know, this is why it's addiction.
0: And how, uh, how did you get sober? What did you do?
1: Um, I finally went to 12-step meetings Mm -hmm. and I went to an outpatient program. So it's like five nights a week you go to this program with Mm -hmm. a small group of people. And Mm -hmm. then you're going to 12-step meetings, Mm -hmm. uh, at least three a week. And then I found a home group, which means one group that you go Mm -hmm. to every week and you get to know the people. Mm -hmm. And so it was the community. I don't like the 12-steps myself. I I, I find them annoying. Mm -hmm. They're very puritanical. But it didn't matter because it was the people really that made a difference.
0: Is the 12 Steps program the same as the AA meeting?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a different group of people who do it for uh, drugs called Narcotics Anonymous. Oh, okay.
0: Are they the same program, like uh, 12 Steps and the AA?
1: Um, they're based on the same principles, okay. they're not the same program.
0: Okay, okay. And with, uh, you are from uh, US? Right? Yeah. Uh, And uh, to do the outpatient uh, treatment, uh, was it affordable for you?
1: Uh, I had health insurance, mm-hmm. so it was affordable. Mm-hmm. It cost me maybe $300 for like, uh, I think, five months of oh. intense patient treatment mm-hmm. and then uh, another seven months of once once a month or something, once a week, I forget.
0: I heard so many horror uh, horror stories about U.S. health care, but this doesn't sound bad at all.
1: Well, I had a good job because mm-hmm. I was working mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. I was able to keep good jobs barely after a while and sometimes mm-hmm. I did lose jobs but you know I worked in tech and I was mm-hmm. largely able to keep working mm-hmm. and um, if you have a good job you're mm-hmm. in the privileged class, right? Mm-hmm. You're in the, the group of people who have a company that's mm-hmm. paying you and they're paying for your health insurance and Mm -hmm. if they're paying for good health insurance Mm -hmm. then you get that for pretty cheap Mm -hmm. if you don't have health insurance then you're in for something like that i don't even know probably Mm -hmm. minimum ten thousand dollars for an outpatient program but it could have been more and Mm -hmm. then if you're going inpatient that can be you know twelve twenty thousand dollars for a month inpatient um and that's just unaffordable for the mm. average person. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. That, that's scary. So 14 years, what was the, um, how it looks like for the 14 years journey? Um, you know, it
1: was increasingly lonely, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah, it was increasingly lonely, you know, and uh, I kind of, uh, yeah yeah that's what it was you know I became more and more uh, mm-hmm. addicted and uh, my life began to fall apart more and more mm-hmm. and then after a certain number of years I kind of lost everything and mm-hmm. then spent a few years being just really really poor mm-hmm. just working odd little jobs to mm-hmm. get by and barely being able to buy pay rent and buy enough food to eat and um, and that was very very hard and very humbling and um, then slowly i was able to rebuild uh, kind of rebuild my uh, career and a few years after that after i started kind of came out of that phase i uh, i finally got clean entirely so it was a pretty common trajectory i think mm. this is what a lot of people who've gotten clean from addiction go through right mm-hmm. it's like they start out and they're with a lot of people or it's kind of a social thing. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes lonelier and lonelier Mm -hmm. and the lonelier you get, the more you want the drugs and the Mm -hmm. more shame you feel. So the more you want the drugs Mm -hmm. and then eventually it takes over your life and you can't really maintain your life anymore. And then you lose everything. Mm -hmm. And um, then you come back if you, if you know, if you're one of the lucky ones, right? A lot of people don't come back. And and I think Mm -hmm. it's really luck Uh, I don't think I had like any special abilities. Um, I was lucky and I was, I was fortunate, you know, I, I had the means Mm -hmm. because of my job to go to, um, to go to treatment, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people don't have that Mm -hmm. option. And, um, so there was a lot of, things available to me that aren't Mm -hmm. available to a lot of people so it was just a combination of luck that I didn't die because a lot Mm -hmm. of addicts you know I overdosed I tried suicide attempts Mm -hmm. and I um I got through it uh without dying but a lot of people don't and what's the difference there is no difference just some people Mm -hmm. you know luck of the draw I think Mm -hmm. and uh so and but I made it through and that was good and then I started uh telling stories and became a public speaker and uh, you know my life got a lot better after Mm -hmm. that you know I was able to everything is very different when Mm -hmm. you're um, you know when you're clean Mm -hmm. and you haven't really been clean your whole life and Mm -hmm. sometimes I still want to get high but uh, I don't
0: when when you say clean are you clean from everything
1: clean from everything Mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't even have uh, CBDs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, uh, I have not had any drugs for like over 13 years. Wow, yeah, it's weird. How b- <laughs>
0: uh, and uh, uh, how's uh, the bipolar? Uh, do you take a uh, medication?
1: Um, I'm taking one medication in a low dose right now. And, um, I went for, I've taken bigger medications in the past of higher doses and multiple meds. Mm -hmm. And then I went for a number of years without any. Mm Um, I think that, uh, you know, my feeling about medication has always been if you're, if you're doing okay, I mean, this is the rule I will tell myself if I'm doing okay without them, then, you know, I don't need, to be on medications. If I'm really consistently not able to get myself into a decent state, then I should go ahead and take medications. And that's why I started medication again, just really early this year. I gave myself a particular thing that was going on. I gave myself three months to deal with it and I didn't. And I was like, okay, then I'll go on on medication for a while. So, um, yeah, I've done both. I think that a lot of the way i deal with it though is now that i've learned how my brain works and Mm -hmm. what mania is and how depression works like i don't trust my brain very much at all i'm Mm -hmm. like oh my brain's doing this or Mm -hmm. um you know things like that like you get a distance and you watch your brain and Mm -hmm. You're observing what it's doing but not always acting on it. It's mm-hmm. like this will pass right now. I feel like everything's hopeless, mm-hmm. but you know, in a couple hours or in the morning, I'm gonna feel great. Mm-hmm. So you start to learn <laughs> you start to learn that things will shift
0: mm-hmm. And uh, with bipolar, um, do you always either mania or depressed? do you uh, are you able to stay in between?
1: yeah, I'm able to stay in between. um not forever. I mean, uh-huh. I will get um, you know, i I mean, I would say I'm used to mood swings on uh-huh. a pretty regular basis. Uh-huh. They're very common to me. It's very normal to me to be uh-huh. very up or very down uh-huh. um without a lot of explanation. Uh-huh. You know, it's not always based on things that are happening. Um, but there's a good amount of in between time as uh-huh. well.
0: Uh, like, uh, what's the average in between time you have now?
1: Um, I would say it's uh, and I've never really thought about it this way, but I would say it's probably about maybe you know twenty five percent up, twenty five percent down, to different degrees, and mm-hmm. then about half time in between, but. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say because Mm -hmm. you really, I don't map it out. Some people Mm -hmm. chart what they're doing. I Mm -hmm. don't really do that,
0: yeah. Yeah, and and, uh, how do you know like uh, you are mania or depressed? Like, do you have some like indications to to, uh, really have a clear picture of yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, depression, uh, it's easy. I can Mm -hmm. feel it in my body. Mm -hmm. Um, I could also analyze my thoughts, but it's very easy to feel in my body because really, you know, we think of these emotions in terms of how our thoughts are. But Mm -hmm. if you step back and say, okay, what's going on in my body, you can feel the emotions as well. At least I can. And, um, but with mania, it's more, um, it's more certain kinds of thoughts mm-hmm. than i'm like okay this is slightly manic and mm-hmm. it's usually i don't worry about it mm-hmm. be, unless it, i'm dealing with people mm-hmm. then i'm like i need to learn how to deal with people in a way that is acceptable to mm-hmm. them because mm-hmm. if you if you think that you're you know all these magical things are going to happen and you're mm-hmm. invincible you, and you share that you're just kind of a an can we cuss on this show yeah yeah, you're just kind of an asshole. You're just being a dick. Uh-huh. Um, and, and if you think that uh, somebody is plotting against you who like, isn't, uh-huh. then you're just going to hurt their feelings uh-huh. and maybe create distance and lose a friendship, uh-huh. which I did lose some friendships uh-huh. before I learned about that. I mean, I since regained them. Like, you know, years later, I'm like, hey, you know, I was a dick and I didn't know it. And, and and now i'm i'm still a dick but at least i know it and i can compensate for i mean i'm not a dick all the time but like those thoughts happen and i'm not perfect and uh and so when I start to have those kinds of thoughts, that's really when I know I'm manic. Also, my mind is racing or I want to send an angry email. I'm like mm-hmm. pissed off and I'm like, I need to get send this angry email right now. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a sign that you're manic. And so I'll be like, Bill, you know,
0: <laughs> And between manic, uh, like, for example, this manic is like once it happened, does it uh, uh, it always lasts for a long period of time or is like a switch between depression and, uh, and the manic on a daily basis?
1: Um, so it can be daily, it's not usually daily. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, But yeah, it, it has its own momentum. So if you're manic and you realize you're manic, mm-hmm. you can't pull it down just by realizing it. Mm-hmm. What you can do is compensate. So. Mm-hmm. If I'm manic and I like want to talk a bunch and my brain is working super fast, I learn to just sit back, be kind of quiet, say things once in a while, don't talk super fast. I learn how to compensate Mm -hmm. so that I can, you know, interact with people in a way that's pleasant for them, Mm -hmm. Um, even though what's going on inside of me is like, you know, pretty not insane, but it's pretty intense.
0: Mhm. And uh wow. Well, uh and uh with uh, with bipolar, uh I I don't know much about bipolar. Yeah. Is uh bipolar uh like a curable or
1: well, curable isn't really the right term. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so by the way, I have a particular type of bipolar mm-hmm. which is rapid cycling. Um mm-hmm. there's bipolar 1 where mm-hmm. people will go into mania and depression. Mm-hmm for like months at a time mm-hmm. and this is a more intense form of mania people mm-hmm. will live in a very delusional state for mm-hmm. uh for many months and this you,
0: is type one
1: that's type one yeah type two is uh basically a much more rapid cycling mm-hmm. kind of bipolar where mm-hmm. that's not lasting as long and the mania is more usually it's hypomania, uh-huh. which a lot of overachievers kind of live in hypomania. You know, those people who are like, well, I got my master's degree, I ran a triathlon, and then I, you know, I wrote a book and a screenplay. You know, uh-huh. what did you do last summer? Those people are usually just operate in hypomania all the time. So uh-huh. for some people, it's a very powerful uh-huh. place to live. Uh-huh. Um, and then they just recently started talking about. Uh, new rapid cycling kind of bipolar which mm-hmm. it kind of explains more what goes on with me because when mm-hmm. they diagnosed me with bipolar 2 They said, you know, you're actually a little bit more rapid cycling than the actual definition But there's nothing that close so now they've actually acknowledged there are mm-hmm. people like me who will go um, Can go pretty rapidly back mm-hmm. and forth
0: mm-hmm. and uh, the news said a uh, lot of people are actually uh, functioning on hypomania uh, like For you, when you are in that state, is something actually pleasant uh, or is something, because for me, it sounds like, uh, oh, those are, it sounds exactly like those people who sound cocaine.
1: Yeah, actually, it's funny you should say that, right? I think Mm -hmm. it's not unlike that. So yeah, it's kind of pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. Hypomania is kind of pleasant. Do you like it? Um... not always but sometimes I do yeah I mean the problem with it is it's I guess you get so it 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 can become so intense that you just want to destroy it with like you know overeating Mm -hmm. or uh, having a cigarette or whatever your self-destructive habits are like you kind of want to. it makes you want to cut into it Mm -hmm. or not maybe not you but I mean because you're not dealing with it but people who live with it can make them want to cut into it and make mm-hmm. them lose their judgment mm-hmm. um so it's uh so it's unpleasant but if i'm like sitting down writing or mm-hmm. working or mm-hmm. doing something it can and i'm just you know then it can be very very pleasant uh-huh.
0: yeah um so do you have any control on if you are depressed or mania because uh do you if you are depressed do you have a ways to get you to hypomania state?
1: <laughs> um, I have... okay, there are two things. One is if I'm depressed, uh-huh. I do have ways of uh-huh. getting out of it. Uh-huh. Um, but but if I want to be in hypomania, uh-huh. it's hard to get there just because I want to be. Uh-huh. Um, However, sometimes, uh, you know this, you're a creative person. Okay. I mean, it's a very creative state, can oh. be. Uh-huh. Like a lot of creative people are, are, are manic, bipolar. Um, and yeah. so, you know, if I'm able to focus on mm-hmm. creating, then I'm just like in that groove yeah. and I can create and create and create and nothing else mm-hmm. matters, yeah. um, which can be a problem mm-hmm. in relationships because yeah. what happens is you become so focused on the thing that you're completely fulfilled by this Mm -hmm. sort of the manic fantasy or the creative action or whatever it is and people become less important for that little bit of time. Mm -hmm. And um, you have to have people who are like, Mm -hmm. this is a thing that goes on with them Mm -hmm. and they're gonna be distant from me for an hour or a half day or Mm -hmm. whatever it is, maybe Mm -hmm. a little longer. And that's gonna happen regularly Mm -hmm. and you know some people have their own internal Mm -hmm. thing where they're like i can be okay with that and Mm -hmm. some people do it themselves they're like i need this up needs this Mm -hmm. happens to me Mm -hmm. too um but otherwise it can be a problem and you can go you know going down of course is not generally fun for partners but um Mm -hmm. But if you have somebody who understands or who is also bipolar, then at least you can understand mm-hmm. each other and you can talk about those things with no shame, no mm-hmm. stigma.
0: Mm-hmm. We So uh, over the years, um, what's the best tools you learn to maintain or let's say manage your bipolar disorder?
1: Um, I would say there are a couple of tools, um, several actually. Um, one is uh, meditation, mm-hmm. just uh, focusing. The, the, you understand what meditation is. There are different kinds, but mm-hmm. meditation is very helpful. Another is um, kind of a different way of viewing uh, existence. Mm -hmm. so that you're less attached to what happens in the world or what's going on in your thoughts. This is kind of uh, espoused by many different philosophical, Mm -hmm. um, you know, methods or angles, but you certainly see it in Buddhism or Mm -hmm. in East Indian Mm -hmm. type of scriptures. I read a lot of old sanskrit or scriptural stuff or polyscriptural scriptural mm-hmm. stuff because you know the ancient sort of this distilled wisdom is uh it's it gets me high and it, it provides mm-hmm. me relief so that's mm-hmm. not going to work for most people mm-hmm. most people are like that's dumb <laughs> and that's okay if it's not working for them they don't need to do it right everybody finds their own path but for me this has been critical Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so that's a thing. Sometimes I can sit back and just say, okay, this is not like, let's experience this as a sensation in my body instead Mm -hmm. of thoughts. Sometimes I can just tap myself and say, hey, these thoughts are wrong, like, mm-hmm. or or happily they're wrong. And then I, I can tr- try to start to replace with happier thoughts. Mm-hmm. So from depression point of view, those are my main tools. And mm-hmm. um, it's kind of constant work. You know, I gave a, a TED talk uh, a few years back about, uh, Kind of about mental health how to connect with depressed friends and uh then that got you know a fair amount of views and attention and i started to think i was uh i started to think i was better at dealing with depression than i was just, <laughs> yeah, just because i had this talk and uh, it took me a while to realize like yeah no it's 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 work but if you know how to do the work it's not so bad
0: does mm-hmm. that make sense mm mm-hmm. yeah yeah i I think uh i I resonate with that uh, also for my depression. Mm-hmm. I feel uh right now like uh, I wouldn't say I'm depressed uh but uh uh <laughs> i i there are so many things I need to do every day to keep myself uh in this balance uh, and uh hours of work every day of things normally I wouldn't do. Like I journal, like uh, uh, I I do sports, uh, I uh, meditate and to observe myself. They are all work I put in every day to make sure that I'm in a good mental space. And uh, if I discontinue, uh, it can kick back very soon.
1: I would be very curious Mm. to know
0: Mm -hmm.
1: how you came to develop that. Like there must Mm -hmm. have been a time when yeah. you weren't doing that and yeah. then you decided okay I need to start doing things to manage my mm-hmm. depression
0: yeah uh i think that's a very good question uh i originally i was uh, diagnosed with uh, depression mm-hmm. and uh, <coughs> since then i've been battling with it there's up and downs but uh, i was very unstable like uh, I could easily get into breakdown for for days. Can I ask so a we, question? I don't want to
1: interrupt you, but when were you first diagnosed with depression? Uh,
0: it <coughs> was two thousand and eighteen. Okay, thank you. I uh, I was suicidal uh, for months, and I couldn't get up. It was uh, really really bad. But uh, after that, looking back, I realized I was depressed my whole life. I just don't didn't know what it is. <laughs>
1: I love that mm. you said that because mm. it's funny you mm. right you grow if you i had the same thing mm. there was a, a point where I realized that mm. oh um yeah mm. we're like oh this isn't normal because you because to you as a mm. kid growing up you think it's normal because that's all you know like yeah. this is what living feels like right yeah and then eventually you're like oh not everybody feels like <laughs> like like life is Pointless and they're doomed
0: yeah. um, <laughs> since I put radio, was Like I wanted to kill myself so many times and uh, I was like I'm so not happy But uh, I didn't know other people are having fun. I didn't know this is not normal like a little child should be happy. I I didn't know
1: one time. I heard on the radio a statistic that it was like they were like yes and um, you know, the less, the, somehow it came out that like mm. less than 5% of people, like, oh, less than 5% of people have suicidal thoughts, like mm. one a year or more. And I mm. thought, no, 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 mm. that's backwards. It has to be 5% or less never have them and the other 95% do. And then I realized, oh, I'm the one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I see. I've been misinterpreting this the whole time. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, so you you took action. You were diagnosed, mm-hmm. and then you um, then you did you get help? And then they said do these things. Did you research it? Did you just know that these things would be helpful?
0: No. Like uh, uh, when I got diagnosed, the doctor just gave me m- medication, and uh, uh, I didn't have other like a means of support until I got therapy. But my therapist, um, she listened me to talk. Uh, that's already super super helpful. But she never told me uh, how can I learn how to deal with it, uh, like what a method I can adopt. But uh, over the years, like it's been a very slow, um, uh, very slow process. Like uh, which really uh, um, solidified this year because uh, um, This year I start to realize that uh, I have uh, uh, undiagnosed ADHD Uh, More like ADD. I'm not (coughs) that hyper And then I realized Wow, um, I I think I have ADD and I start to read lots of books about ADD and I start to adopt uh, the tools for ADD and uh, it works magic on me uh, and uh, uh, with ADD uh, like books they give really like a clear guidelines like uh, you, you suck at an organization you need to do those small things to help yourself organize uh, and uh, uh, you have too much energy you have to do sports every day and you are messy so you plan your day in this way that way and uh, it really helped me and uh, i also read a few books Uh, so now i have a 10 steps morning routine and uh uh, a 10 step
1: morning routine yeah can i ask what it is because Mm. i could use all i could use this i'm Mm. uh partly just interested mm-hmm. in people's stories, but mm-hmm. now I'm interested in practical tips that mm-hmm. I might be able to use if mm-hmm. you don't mind yeah, sharing it, with me your routine.
0: Yeah, sure. Like uh, uh, I developed this routine based on three things. Like one is a, a method called a bullet journal method. Uh, it's a type of way to, uh, to uh, make notes and uh, uh, organize your day and uh, uh, also it's a combined of mindfulness. So it's just a way of uh, um, making notes and it really, really helps me. Uh, then on top of that, I read a book called Driven to Distraction. It's about uh, a book about a depression, uh, no, no, ADD. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I read a book called the Atomic Habits. It teaches you how to build a habit. And it's really, really eye-opening because uh, it it taught the science behind habits. And I will. Re- like wow uh, they say like uh, in order to keep a habit the key is to make it as easy as possible and I realized oh my whole life 30 years I did it all wrong because in Chinese mindset, mindset it's all about willpower it's about uh, like uh, doing like uh, like really boring thing like hard things and you just push yourself and if you cannot do that you are a piece of shit so and I realized, oh, of course, I was always depressed because I forced myself to do things so boring, so not interesting and so hard. And then I, I blame myself for not able to do it. And then I get depressed Then I push myself more. But with this book, Atomic Habit, it's all about uh, treat yourself well and uh, work with uh, with your yourself and to make yourself uh, to do things as easy as possible, to mm-hmm. uh, to really clear all the obstacles for you to to do the habits. Just make your life as easy as possible. Then you can do all the things. And I realized, oh, uh, in order to have a productive life, the key is to be nice to myself, not be harsh to myself.
1: Mm, wow, that's really mm. profound.
0: Yeah, like uh. Uh, then i uh, with these three books i developed this uh, this routine is uh, like uh every day i wake up i meditate uh i take my uh, medi- medication uh, i write my morning journal uh i eat breakfast i walk my dogs uh, i come back i write my to-do list and i write uh, some uh um daily gratu uh, gratitudes uh and uh, um what else I have i I think I yeah I brush my teeth and and I shower and I do sports those are the st- ten steps and uh, in the atomic Habit in this book it's really good it teaches you how to make it easy to follow and they have lots of techniques right. uh, for example mm-hmm. you you time uh, a few uh, a few uh, techniques it's like a you trigger a, a action by, time and space or you trigger an action uh, by uh, by the order of your, your stuff for example once you do this thing mm-hmm. immediately you do that thing yeah for example one thing it sounds stupid but uh, for people who's depressed uh, it's very useful like when you are depressed um it's very easy you realize for days you haven't brushed your teeth uh, like uh, this is just normal mm-hmm. and um, uh, sometimes i'm not in a depressed uh, period but it still gets slid uh, away sometimes yeah and now instead of uh, okay I will every day I will brush my teeth instead of say that I just every time I eat I go brush my teeth so it's conditioned oh, so
1: that's a good idea so
0: there's no internal like battle mm-hmm. Oh, I can do it yeah. later maybe so so by by doing this condition is' not only make it easy to follow but also it saves your mental capacity of all the internal dialogue Should I
1: be doing yeah, it? Yeah. Oh I haven't brushed them yet, it's yeah. terrible, I'm a bad person Yeah, should yeah. I do it
0: later? Maybe, uh, yeah, so you don't need to keep op- optimize, keep uh, negotiate because there's no negotiation, once you eat, you brush your teeth
1: Oh, that's really good, so hmm. I'm gonna get that book, Atomic hmm. Habits Yeah. Okay, that's really good. So do you ever have a hard time cleaning or is cleaning easy for you?
0: Uh, I used to have like, a, uh, but I think this year I've been doing really great because now I have the routines and the the way of to do my uh, daily task. So now nowadays I almost, it's almost like a automatic, like a, I wake up. I tidy my room a little bit and uh, uh, before I sit down to uh, actually work I always like to vacuum or do something always make it tidy Uh, it gives me lots of pleasure now uh, but it was a process.
1: Okay, that's really inspiring. That's really good. I'm glad, I'm glad we, we turned this around and I was able to ask you some questions because that's really helpful. Cleaning for me is really hard and I don't know why, because when I do it, I feel good. After, but, um, but getting started, it's that initial initiative.
0: Oh, I, I think also because you have a job. Uh, like uh, for, for me, I, now I do so much cleaning, it's also because I don't have a job and so I don't have time pressure I realized when I had a job like w- cleaning in the evening was so hard like I, I cannot clean in the mm. evening because in the evening I want to either be productive or being social or like do something nice like I, I'm never in the mood to oh clean in the evening but uh, during the day like when I wake up I just like to set the set the stage for me to work later yeah. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> I have a, a habit. Uh, I like to listen to audiobook and I have a Bluetooth uh, headphone. So I put it on and uh, with a good book and then I clean and I cook. It's it's really pleasant.
1: I should do the audiobook because mm. here's the thing I found mm. about cleaning. If mm. I am talking to somebody mm. on the phone, like I mm. put on my Bluetooth mm. and I'm talking to a friend or one of my brothers mm. and um, then I can clean like Mm -hmm. all that whatever that emotional barrier is to cleaning is not there when I'm when I'm connected with somebody so maybe if I start doing some of the audiobooks uh uh, that would actually be enough for me to clean Uh I'm gonna this is this is better than therapy Uh being on your podcast (laughs) (laughs) like uh,
0: I and I think audiobook is also a big big uh, like a discovery I had this year like uh, um I learned so much more from audiobooks than therapy because therapy, like I, I, told, I told her about my issue. Uh, she listens and she sometimes comments a little bit, but uh, with, with the books it's like, like a comprehensive training. Like they tell you, uh, you learn lots of different stuff and a different perspective. And uh, if you pick the book right, uh, they are very positive and very reassuring, yeah. and you learn so much, and it puts you in a flow state so easily. Like some, sometimes I put the the audio on, and I clean and I cook easily two three hours passed, and uh, um, not only you feel like oh your mind is neutral, you learn something, uh, you make your uh, living environment clean. But also it's kind of like sports. you move your your body and afterwards you just feel good.
1: That's really great. Mm-hmm. yeah, I, I love that. and you're right. you do you do learn interesting things and and therapy is I'd be curious to hear mm-hmm. your experience with therapy. in my experience, there is occasionally mm-hmm. a very rare therapist mm-hmm. and I haven't done a lot of therapy, mm-hmm. but I've tried a lot of therapists mm-hmm. um, but um, But there's occasionally a rare therapist who Mm -hmm. kind of gets you and they're and you feel like they're on Mm -hmm. your side right you feel like they're a peer not Mm -hmm. this person who's Mm -hmm. kind of above um and then they make you laugh or you make Mm -hmm. them this is my test if i can Mm -hmm. make them laugh i'll trust them more Mm -hmm. the um and you know i'm not always funny but it's the spirit of Mm -hmm. can we joke about this or Mm -hmm. are you going to be serious Mm -hmm. the um And uh, but mostly they just do what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. which is they're going to listen to you Mm -hmm. and maybe say something. And you're like paying a lot of money for somebody to be basically Uh your friend for an Uh hour. And they're not even that great a friend. You know, you know, you can't (laughs) you can't text them later.
0: This year like I uh, I adopt this technique. Uh, it's called morning uh, morning pages. Have you heard about this concept? Oh yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I have a friend who does that. It looks really good. You do like a few gratitudes and uh, what else? You tell me what uh, the thing is. Actually are.
0: that's not the concept. Okay. The concept is super easy. It's every day you wake up, the first thing you do, you open uh, like um uh, A5 uh, notebook, mm-hmm. and uh, you write whatever coming into your mind for three pages. Oh, from the
1: g- artist's way. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, a combination of uh, um, the artist, uh, like uh, the morning pages and reading books, uh, the two combination, uh, it m- gave me so much breakthrough. I, I gained so much done from therapy. Uh, and uh, like it's just this year it's just breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. you heard about my story uh, uh of the relationship I had with my mom. Mm-hmm. I remember last year I told my therapist like she tries to mention like oh how are you dealing with it? I'm like, I don't think I'll ever be able to like uh, um digest it, it be, it's just like i it's too much for me and uh, I don't think I ever find peace in it, but then some while reading, writing itself is somehow it's just resolved itself.
1: That's really great. You know, that is another topic that's Mm -hmm. really powerful Mm -hmm. is, um. In, in your case, it was you and your mother. But mm-hmm. almost everybody has a family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's with a parent. Sometimes it's with their siblings. Do you have siblings? No. Okay. So for people who do, you know, they will almost always have feuds and fights. And I've, I've done both. And um, when you can get to a point where you, in your heart, you really no longer just hold that grudge blindly. You're like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is a person Mm -hmm. that they hurt and they're Mm -hmm. doing the best they can. And even if they're being an asshole to me, it doesn't serve me to be an asshole to them. It's Mm going to serve me a lot better to Mm -hmm. give them kindness. Mm -hmm. And so this became a practice for me was... uh, to give be kindness cuz i was a real asshole to a couple of my brothers and to my mom and you know i could argue that they deserved it in different ways especially the brothers but <laughs> but with uh, but ultimately it's like who wins when you do that i don't know uh, i don't win you feel kind of good self righteous mm-hmm. but it's not a happy feeling mm-hmm. and so for me to learn how to let go of that resentment, you know, cause mm-hmm. I wanted, this was my dream, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be resentful of my family that I was mad at and really happy at the same time. Mm-hmm. To me, that was like, but they're they're mutually exclusive, maybe mm-hmm. not for everybody, I know mm-hmm. people who say, nope, I have resentments, and I'm happy, and mm-hmm. that's great that they can do that, I couldn't, I, mm-hmm. I tried, mm-hmm. <laughs> I tried, so the, the, your story about your mom was really beautiful in that way, because you, um, you came full circle, and it was done in such a, a powerful way, it was, um. And it was really, really, you know, it was, it's cathartic for people to hear that because everybody has these, these relationship challenges with family and to see somebody coming through and, you know, treating somebody with love instead of that fear and resentment is uh, just such a beautiful thing.
0: Do you, uh, do you know meta meditation?
1: Meta meditation? Yeah. No, what is it?
0: Uh, metta is a polyton. Uh, the direct English translation is uh, loving kindness. Um, mm. since this year, I start to practice this meditation. It's actually really simple. Like, uh, you start with um, uh, think about something, someone you really have very good feeling to, mm-hmm. uncomplicated uh, un- not romantic relationship, mm-hmm. just imagine them picture them want everything great for them and then you carry away this feeling and to hope everything best for you free of suffering free free of pain and then uh, you move to a random person on the street you just hope them to be happy and you you uh, pray for them and you want to uh, Send the positive energy for them, mm. and eventually you move to someone who you have difficult relationship, and to see that uh, no matter who they are now, uh, they once was an innocent baby coming into the world, and uh, designated to become the person they are, yeah. uh, and <coughs> then you see, okay, uh, like they are also the victim of the the environment uh, they have experienced, um. I start to practice this um, meditation this year, uh, um, and uh, it's very, very simple. Maybe like uh, on, on waking up, the meditation app. There's like five sessions about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, now every like a month or so, I revisit it, and it really, really helps. Uh, like uh, to to feel the kindness for others and. Uh, um, a very big breakthrough i made this year is also like uh, in the past i feel like everyone hates me uh like uh, uh, everyone uh, think negative about me and uh um, and via meditation i i realized that um uh, first it's not true second even people fear negative feelings for me it can be changed by thinking about they hate me so I hate them it won't change but by if I start to send positive vibes and send the love mm-hmm. and send the energy uh, eventually uh, I can feel the, the energy back and uh, I've been practicing that and it really really works mm. um, and I, I think uh, this really helped me a lot and w- with the i I mentioned at uh, the mental health festival I had a breakup uh, with my, uh, with a long, my long-term partner yeah uh, and uh, in this relationship for three and a half years I for the majority of time I feel rejected like uh, uh, on one hand we are in a very commitment committed relationship, but on the other hand, some part of him always make me feel I'm not desired I'm not his choice and he stuck with me. Um, and after the breakup, uh, worried like rather fast. I, I by listening to audiobook, audiobook really changed me yeah, a lot. So
1: tell, yeah. after
0: after the breakup, the first day, I was so, feeling so surreal. I was like a walking zombie. But uh, but then I know if I stay in bed, I will be depressed for sure. So every day I go out, walk the dogs for like eight hours. I just put my headphone. Eight in. hours. Yeah, I put my headphone in. I listen <clears> to audio books, <throat> and I uh, first That's I start. I start to listen books about how to fix relationships, and uh, I start. Uh, and then after the, like two three books, I start to listen how to accept, uh, like uh, breakups, uh, and uh, then. Very soon, like three, four days, I started to realize, oh, actually, it's not that bad. Uh, That's really healthy. Yeah.
1: That's super healthy. Wow. Yeah, you're inspiring me. Yeah, That's and really after great.
0: a month's breakup, I started to see someone else. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I... And eventually, I told my uh, ex-partner, and he he got really shocked, and he, he was like... A, a, really emotional and the second day he told me he had a break down he cried for me and his heart is broken and uh, i feel quite happy because uh, i feel oh for three and a half years together you always make made made me feel okay i'm not desired yeah. uh, and every time we have like crisis it's always me crying and you are there like uh, I just feel like I'm not important. You never like cried for me and it's always you rejecting me. Uh, and uh, when he told me he, he cried for me, he, he had a breakdown, I, I realized, okay, uh, the reason why he never cried for me is just because I was so engaged in this relationship. He never believed that he'll lose me. So even after the breakup, he still thinks, okay, if he can deal with his issues and he change his mind in one or two years, uh, I'll still be there for him. And so for him, the, the breakup never kicked in, because he always thinks it's his decision. If one day he wants me, we can still be yeah, together.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, the moment I start to see someone else, I'm not available anymore reality finally kick in in his brain and he finally realized he lost me and he cried and I kind of like feel happy I was like you see like actually you wanted me you, you just but the reason why you are not sad is just because you never lost <clears throat> me you never fear the fear of losing me yeah.
1: and I feel happy
0: for a few days and uh, after a few days I I start to uh, release it in the me- meta meditation, and the kind of love and the the care, all the good memories about him coming up, and uh, that happiness of him getting hurt totally gone, and I start to really really think all the good things, all the good memories, all the good changes uh, this relationship and he brought me. Uh, and uh, uh, yesterday we had our like first like uh, real talk after the breakup, uh-huh. and uh, it was very emotional. He told me um, many many good things about me, and uh, today I woke up. He wrote me a message. He he told me that um, uh, he he ne- uh, he never loved me so much. Uh, he he reached. The, the peak of how much he loves me uh, right now, yeah. but it's not a love of like a romantic in love feeling, mm-hmm. but it's just this kind of uh, tremendous gratitude and uh, appreciate of each other, uh. and I feel this kindness uh, towards each other, and uh, how much we inspire each other, and how, uh, how happy he has me in the life in his life, and uh, i feel so touched and i i just realized oh okay this is really a mark of personal growth in my life that to be able to feel this love for each other even after a relationship has ended and mm-hmm. uh, i really think that uh, uh meta meditation really uh, played a wh- wh- vital role in it and also this uh technique, uh, the tool of uh, morning pages. Um, I got hooked, up, hook up, uh, to this tool earlier this year. Yeah. Uh, like I, r- and I told this tool to, to my ex partner, uh, since, uh, a month ago he started to do it daily also. And he also said that to be able to reach to this point from so depressed and uh, anger at me. To now feeling this unconditional love towards me, really, uh, can uh, how to say, uh, <coughs> uh, it's the it's the magic of morning pages. That's very yeah. healthy.
1: That's really beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I
0: really, great. really recommend anyone to do it. Not only artists, but anyone.
1: Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. That's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I love all of that. That's mm-hmm. really great. The. Um, I feel like we should uh, start this interview mm-hmm. at the point where we started talking about you. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's when the podcast got really interesting because you've, you've really you've been on a journey and mm-hmm. you've learned a lot. Um, the can we talk about your story and mm-hmm. uh, you're not spoiling anything for mm-hmm. people who might share your mm-hmm. might share your uh, might see your show.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the story we we can talk about it specific
1: questions so what i want to know is uh, you must have had a first time in your life uh or or somewhere around there maybe a few where you started like wondering uh maybe my mom is just somebody who uh is you know has her own pain and mm-hmm. this is what uh and at, at, you know because you go from being a kid you, your mm. parents are kind of like God because they mm. literally are the yeah. world to you yeah. to eventually um, You know they're something else and then at mm. some point, you know, you realize oh, they're just a person and they have their own Issues their own pain mm-hmm. their own journey. When did you start to, to notice that about your mom?
0: Well, uh, recently maybe this year March April somewhere
1: there. Wow. So it was yeah. around the time you started doing all this work.
0: Yeah. Um, this year, like, uh, people all shit about the pandemic, but, uh, this year is like the peak of my mental health. Wow. Uh, I, yeah. I learned so much. Uh, I, I gained so much strength.
1: That's really great. Uh-huh. That's really great. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I have any more questions. Not that I'm the one asking questions, but but, but I feel like we've covered Mm -hmm. everything.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, with you uh, about uh, uh, addiction, uh, do you have um, what made you to start to do public speaking? Uh, Was it uh, uh, any specific uh, events happened?
1: yeah specifically what happened is uh okay I had dated a girl for a few months and then I had broken up with her and then she had said okay that's okay because uh uh but I don't want to be your friend Mm -hmm. and I said okay I will honor that and Mm -hmm. then somehow like 10 months later or something or nine months later we wound up having a text exchange and we Mm. were just as friends going to get together Mm -hmm. and uh, she told me there's this storytelling night Mm. and uh, we were going to meet at this coffee house to do storytelling and then she uh she dissed me like at Mm. the last minute she Mm. goes oh I'm not going to be there I got a better offer and I'm like was well, she setting me up this whole time or whatever mm-hmm. but it didn't matter because uh, I went and I mm-hmm. watched the storytelling and what I saw was people just talking about what was going on in their life at that moment and it was such raw emotion and it was mm-hmm. I was like really taken with it mm-hmm. like one person up there was talking mm-hmm. he was a uh, a man <clears throat> who was uh uh, a phone sex operator mm-hmm. and who would pretend to be a woman on the phone and <laughs> he had hid this from his family mm-hmm. but he's apparently very good at it <laughs> and um the uh, and his family had found out somehow and uh and so he's telling this story and it's so emotional because his mom and his sister are are supporting him and then while he's on stage telling this story he gets a text from his mom saying, you know, your sister and I just want you to know that we love you and something like that. And I'm like, whoa, this is like life happening. This is this is more real than anything I've ever, s-, you know. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I used to do stand-up comedy when mm-hmm. I was younger. I was never that good at it. Mm-hmm. Like I was always a little too crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could do well, sometimes I could mm-hmm. kill, but then I would get real work and I would eat it. And, mm-hmm. um, it was pretty awkward, honestly. The, but, um, so I, uh, so I thought, you know, maybe I could do storytelling now It's a different stage of my life. And I told a story about, uh, um, a group of high school friends, a chess team, and then one of them having a psychotic break and our whole little circle of friends breaking up after that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I told the story, uh, and it was very, and I put humor in it and, um, and people appreciated hearing about that emotional journey. And then I started talking about some of the things I had been through. Cause I lived with, I had lost a lot of weight. I had lost like over a hundred pounds. Oh. I had, um, I had learned how to overcome social anxiety like Mm -hmm. I used to be so afraid to talk to people Mm -hmm. I couldn't go to a party I would bail like if I did if I did go I would have to leave within five minutes I would just freak out Me too Really? Yeah, I'm
0: still like uh, that uh, but uh, now I learned is that I, I cannot go to a party who I don't know anyone but I when I host my own party I'm fine.
1: Yeah around (laughs) people you know already yeah yeah and meeting strangers was hard so I had learned how to overcome though I would tell stories about these things or about relation but about things because I had been through everybody has a really big journey mine just happens to be a little easier to measure because like Mm you know, addiction, mental illness, and then learning how to live better. But so I would tell about these little parts of my journey. And oftentimes with a little transformation, like something I learned or something I started shifted, you know, people love that in a story. And you you have that in your story. It's very powerful. Um, and, and then people would uh, appreciate it. And then so I met people, people who were mental health advocates, because there weren't a lot of people talking about mental health stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they would and they introduced me to other people. And then I got involved in mental health advocacy. And then mm-hmm. I started doing speaking. And then I got some training. And then I started, I started coaching storytellers and mm-hmm. putting together mental health storytelling shows. And then uh, pitching TED Talks and then becoming a... a a speaker coach for mental health people I lead a workshop once a month that are really great for a particular organization and then I do a lot some other things as well so it was kind of a natural evolution because uh, you know an ex-girlfriend uh, dissed me
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> and Were you creative in any ways before that?
1: I've always been pretty creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've always been creating. I did, after I did, after I failed at stand-up, I did, uh, I started doing a lot of sketch comedy, Mm -hmm. and and I uh, uh, wrote, uh, I've written a manuscript about my journey in drug addiction, and I couldn't return to it, it was too painful. I finished it in 2009, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just now reworking it and putting it into a proposal. And I've written a TV show before, but we didn't know what we were doing. But I've been working with a partner steadily now. We're writing a sitcom mm-hmm. about mental health, mm-hmm. about mental health advocates, mm-hmm. and uh, we've been learning actually how to do it right, which mm-hmm. is harder than I thought. You know, yeah. I thought I thought it was easy. It's really hard for me to learn the concepts, mm-hmm. but we're learning. We're getting, you know, doing classes and just rewriting wow. it, rewriting it cool. and getting instruction. And so that's kind of like the next level for me of advocacy. It's mm-hmm. like you can do a certain amount as a speaker, mm-hmm. um, but the problem with mental health speaking is that nobody really watches a mental health speaker who mm-hmm. isn't directly attached mm-hmm. to the subject. Mm -hmm. So if you want to, this is my theory anyways, Mm -hmm. if you want to um, expand the conversation and help to normalize the conversation with the general public uh, Mm -hmm. population, then the most powerful way to do it would be with mainstream entertainment whether yeah so so that's what i'm trying to work on um i feel like i've gone about as far as i can as a speaker Mm -hmm. and um you know there's so many people out there with so many great stories i don't Mm -hmm. think i add that much to the conversation anymore Mm -hmm. when i started it it was a bit more novel and there weren't so many people doing it now Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people and i watch them and i'm like they're that's so powerful a story and they're such Mm -hmm. a great speaker so i'm less you know I'm, I'm really less focused on that. I still do it when I get called up and I love yeah. helping people tell their stories mm-hmm. but I don't really promote myself or work mm-hmm. that hard to get mm-hmm. work as a speaker anymore.
0: Wow that's a really interesting project so very exciting. I I, I start to do a mental health projects since uh, also this year. Like, yeah. uh, uh, I realized wow in from normal uh, artist point of view like they think oh why are you limiting yourself to mental health but i realized it actually adds so many different angles like when you have a scene you can be so creative around it and uh, there are so many possible ways and uh, it's uh, indefinite uh,
1: i agree and and i think that um there's very little like I think of it as like the invisible world, Mm -hmm. our inner lives, Mm -hmm. the things we think, the things we feel, the things that go on that Mm -hmm. we don't talk about Mm -hmm. or acknowledge much, Mm
0: -hmm. the things
1: that they won't put in Mm -hmm. like a basic sitcom because Mm -hmm. it's it's a little bit challenging. This is Mm -hmm. what's so interesting and Mm -hmm. what connects us all. So, yes, mental health is... Maybe not everybody, but the people mm. who understand it, which is more people than admit it. Yeah. I think by far, right? Yeah.
0: You know, like <laughs> since I start to talk openly about my mental health, like uh, at any parties, there's always someone eventually will tell me, "Oh, yeah, actually, my sister is very sick." Yes, oh uh, right? my, my 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 husband is very sick.
1: Yeah. So, so to me, it's, it's not a niche that you have to stay in, but it's a very powerful thing because mm-hmm. it might be a smaller percentage of the population, mm-hmm. but the power of the emotional connection between them. And the hunger for that connection mm-hmm. is greater because mm-hmm. having a mental health issue is very isolating yeah. because for one thing, it makes you think you mm-hmm. suck and that mm-hmm. nobody wants to be around you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it makes you into an asshole. So they yeah. really don't want to be around you. Mm-hmm. And either way, a lot of people, if they find out you have a mental health issue, mm-hmm. they don't want to know you. They, mm-hmm. li- they like want the the well-adjusted people mm-hmm. or the people who at least pretend to be well-adjusted.
0: I think uh, to talk about it openly is also very important in a way is that, for example, I've been in this journey for four years now. Uh, all those like uh, powerful tools I only learned this year. And uh, for the first three years, I was like, uh, like I had uh, almost no control in it. Like I just go into break for a week and then I, I don't know what to do. I just uh, let it uh, happen. But now I know. Okay, I feel a little bit uh, depressed today. What I do? I cancel all my appointments. I I do sports. I write. I I watch something I like. And uh, the second day I wake up, I follow ten steps. I'm back in track. But but I didn't know before, and uh, it's not rocket science. It's very easy to pass on, but there's just not enough people are raising the voice. If there's someone sharing me these tips four years ago i i might not uh, like adapt it immediately but maybe like after one year i or if people keep people keep talking about the same thing i might already be uh with all those tools uh, like uh, a few years earlier
1: Possibly. Yeah. 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 And for sure, if it had been less stigmatizing, you might have, uh, found out earlier that you have depression because, you know, it's, it's, nobody jumps to that conclusion if it's not something that's even talked about. I know somebody who, uh, you know, when they were, uh, Mm -hmm. young, Mm -hmm. they, um, they, uh, their parents were so ashamed that Mm -hmm. they had a bipolar condition Mm -hmm. that they drove across state lines Mm -hmm. to a whole other state to Mm -hmm. see a doctor Mm -hmm. and they were like, don't ever tell anybody because it will ruin your life. Um, and because that's the stigma we deal with. And Mm -hmm. I will say this too, in some countries, like as bad as it is Mm -hmm. in, uh, the Western world, uh-huh. America, or I don't know a lot about what it's like in uh-huh. Germany, but I do in America, which is fairly progressive, uh-huh. but it's still very, very stigmatized. Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. you, you go to Pakistan. I know uh-huh. because I, I met a woman in Canada who was uh-huh. from Pakistan and I'm like, why are you here? And she said, well, because my brother is bipolar, so the whole family had to leave because we wouldn't have been able to work and live. And I'm mm-hmm. like, whoa, mm-hmm. that's a level of stigma that yeah. I didn't know about.
0: Yeah, I think like uh, uh, dealing with mental health is also a journey of like uh, uh, working, overcoming shame. Like everything around it is is about shame, and uh, mm-hmm. um, by achieving good. Mental health is a journey of like overcoming all different kinds of sorts, types of shame. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a very long journey, and I'm still battling lots of uh, shames now. It it's never ending. Like you, the the moment I feel oh I'm in a good place, then I discover something. Oh, actually I'm I've been ashamed about this thing for very long. I just never noticed because. When you are ashamed, you don't know you are ashamed, you just behave in a certain way. And the one day you have the capacity to stand aside and look at you you. and why I've been behaving that way the whole time. You realize, oh, it's because I was ashamed by something.
1: Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. That's really powerful this i feel like i'm getting free therapy <laughs> time.
0: <laughs> so uh at the end of the podcast um i want to ask you like if you, you know, uh there's some audience who has bipolar now uh and you can share a few sentences with them what would you share with them
1: yeah my message is really really simple which is that um Number one, uh, you're not alone. A lot of people live with bipolar and a lot of people who don't have certain features of it. Like mm-hmm. this is just human experience. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like you get to have a bigger experience of life. Yes, mm-hmm. it can create some problems for mm-hmm. you, but you also like don't go through life emotionally mm-hmm. shut down. Mm-hmm. You get to experience a lot of emotions, which in a way is a gift. Yeah. There are gifts from bipolar. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not, uh, you're not a bad person. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people think that they're mm-hmm. inadequate or they're damaged. You're mm-hmm. not. You have a different makeup. Mm-hmm. The idea that it's bad is mm-hmm. man-made. Like mm-hmm. if you go into a forest and you see trees and one mm-hmm. grows this way or one didn't grow as tall or one's mm-hmm. bent, do you think that tree is a bad tree? Mm-hmm. No, of course not. It's just nature happening. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're not a freak. And then the last thing I would say is that, you know, there is, there are a lot of people who are bipolar, who have learned how to live really well. And Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how to do it because everybody, there's so many different ways. And I've talked to so many people who've learned how to live well with bipolar and they each have a different path. There are some patterns, but there's not one pattern that is a true Mm -hmm. for everybody, but like, there is a way. You mm-hmm. can learn how to live really well. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so mm-hmm. I I guess I would just say like, mm-hmm. you know, my heart goes out to you. I care mm-hmm. about you. I feel a full heart thinking mm-hmm. of you and wishing you well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's really it. You know, I want you all to, to feel good and, and enjoy life.
0: And for addiction, if uh, someone who's dealing with a di- addiction problem, uh, like a, uh, What do you think the easiest thing they can do to to feel a bit better?
1: So here's what you can do is um, just don't assume, you know, like I spent 14 years in addiction because I was arrogant Mm -hmm. and I couldn't admit Mm -hmm. that I didn't have control over it and Mm -hmm. that other people could help me get better. Mm-hmm. If I had at the beginning said, "You know what? I have a problem. I can't control it, and other people can help me control it, mm-hmm. and I should ask for help mm-hmm. and take it. Mm-hmm. If I had done that, I would have saved 14 years. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to help anybody with addiction, but that was that's the one thing mm-hmm. that that really changed. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm kind of an, mm-hmm. you know, as arrogant as the mm-hmm. next guy, and it took me mm-hmm. a long time to realize yeah. like it wasn't helping me.
0: <laughs> I, I, I really resonate with this, uh, not me, myself, like uh, the last episode I did uh, with Ben, uh, who's my former supervisor from my corporate job, uh, he used to be an alcoholic, uh, and he told me the, the first step of dealing with uh, uh, the alcohol issue is to admit that uh, you have no control over alcohol, like uh, the, you don't have a choice and uh, you, you cannot manage to drink in a uh, sustainable way. And once you realize that, then you can go to the following. But uh, if you are so arrogant, believe, oh, it's everything under control and the people, uh, people don't understand it, then it's just impossible.
1: Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That's really true. And mm-hmm. And you want, you always like and, uh, you know, addicts are always trying to figure out like, OK, I can mo- like I can still get high and be clean at the same time. It's like <laughs> this is what we want. And, and eventually giving up on that is uh, is healthy. And it sucks because I would like to smoke pot once in a while and I can't. And it wouldn't hurt me if I did, except for the fact that I'm an addict and I know.
0: So f- I have other consequences. Well you, you really cannot smoke weed. If you smoke weed, what would happen?
1: I, I've, I think I would get depressed. Um, oh, okay. I think I would, uh, you know, and you also get a certain amount of pride in your clean time. So uh-huh. now, you know, now I kind of like, I'm a little bit arrogant about it and uh-huh. I don't mean to be, I, I am admitting it to sort of shame, shame uh-huh. myself a little bit, I guess, because um, if I, if I smoke a joint, then I lose that clean time. So now, oh. but more than that, I will tell you a story and I, sh- uh. So I went to Amsterdam about Mm -hmm. a month ago. I've never been. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had, in my brain started thinking of a plan to get high. And, mm-hmm. you know, marijuana is legal where I come from. It's not like I'm suddenly mm-hmm. able to have something mm-hmm. I couldn't have. But I'm like, maybe I'll buy cookies and one has marijuana mm-hmm. and one doesn't. And then I'll accidentally eat the wrong one. And I'm like, there's mm-hmm. so many things wrong. <laughs> there's so many things wrong with that plan. <laughs> I don't even want to start. But I literally went through this and I wound up buying a... a buying a space cake, journey around that. And then I walked around for about a half hour with it. And I said, uh, okay, I can't, I can't do this. You know, it was like, okay, either I just knew my addiction will pick up. It's like, if I get high once, Mm -hmm. I will want to get high again. Mm -hmm. And it starts... And then eventually I'll start getting high more and more and it will affect my life. And then I will start going back to hard drugs. So for me, the cliff is too steep for some people. If they smoke pot, they're just like, you know, a little bit lazy and dopey if they smoke it every day. But um, other people smoke it every day and they seem fine. But the for me, it would end in me going off a cliff. And I know that. And it sucks because I would really like to get high but I can't because of that, but it's all right. I, I, I'd much rather have my clean time, you know.
0: I'm trying to understand you because I'm not an addict, uh, but I use drugs very often. Uh, I don't know if that means I'm an addict, but I, don't, I can easily not use it for very long, and I don't have the craving, but uh, I just like, like weed. Yeah, uh, no, I I love wheat. <laughs> so, so I was thinking like I just couldn't understand like why you cannot uh, use wheat but then I start to imagine myself, put myself into your shoes that uh, I, I have eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So um, like for me like eating a whole plate of uh, f- french fries like it will not make me fat or make me whatever if it's just one plate but uh, it's the the shame and disgust I have uh, uh, that will be triggered by eating this plate of uh, fries and once this shame has been triggered I will be in a vicious circle and uh, I start to eat more and more and I couldn't stop and eventually I uh, uh, lie in bed uh, hating myself. I, I think probably is similar to it, you it's, and It's with. kind
1: of similar, and yeah. I mean, the difference, and I think part of the difference for me, right, because if you can smoke marijuana and not have to smoke it, for me, it was chronic. Like, I had to get high every day, and I had to get too high. You know, you, you know I would get, like, so high that I couldn't, you know, it was hard, like, I would just sit there on the couch. I should get up and go to the bathroom, but I don't want to get up because I'm so stoned, and... I would just get too stoned every time right away every day mm-hmm. and it was not fun but let's so i could never moderate other people they moderate they're like i get stoned a little bit or and they have fun and i i believe that people have better living through drugs and alcohol i
0: think that's also similar to my eating disorder like uh, there's definitely people they can just enjoy french fries like a few piece <laughs> of it uh, <laughs> and uh I just have to eat everything and hate myself.
1: <laughs> yes, it, it's a yes. Yeah. That's a really great yeah. parallel. It yeah. is like that. And then in my case, I have the extra problem of um, I will. Uh, I have a cliff to go off. Okay. You know, it, which is that if I start doing hard drugs again, I will lose everything, and I don't think I will build back again. You know, I was one of. Many many very lucky not many. I mean, I was one of few very lucky people who get to build back again Mm -hmm. Um, if I if I lose it on hard drugs again, I'm not I'm not coming back I'm just I'm gonna be derelict and Mm -hmm. that scares me Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, cool. I'm very happy we had the analogy because I always have issues to understand addicts because I'm not addicted to Like for me, I don't I hate alcohol. I don't want it at all.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, I try the co- cocaine sometimes. I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I use MDMA a few times. Like I like it, but I wouldn't say okay. I want it uh, again. Like. Uh, Soon. Yeah, that's probably I,
1: at the top of my list if yeah. I was gonna do drugs again.
0: I smoke weed often, but I can easily go to not smoke weed for, for six months or something. Oh, really? like really? And actually last year during quarantine, I stopped smoking completely for six months. And I was quite proud of it. I was like, oh, I'm sober. I don't need weed, I'm so productive. And then mm, the day I smoked, the day immediately I realized, oh, this is good for me. Because for six months I thought I was productive, but I was in a very anxious mode. And uh, mm. I thought, oh, if I don't do this work, I am a piece of shit. And uh, I was shut down so many emotions uh, inside of me. And once I started to smoke, I realized, oh, okay, I haven't been dealing with uh, lots of things for a while. And uh, I've yeah. been very harsh for myself for a while. So for me, weed is really good. But, but I wouldn't say I'm addicted.
1: You're probably yeah. not like a lot mm-hmm. of people use weed and mm-hmm. they aren't addicted. And yeah. it does enhance your life. Yeah. I think it's mm-hmm. good for people in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And the same mm-hmm. thing with drinking. Yeah. I think a lot of people drink regularly mm-hmm. and they have better lives mm-hmm. because of it. And oh. honestly, like some of us are mm-hmm. addicts. We yeah. go too far yeah. and then we go and we do things we shouldn't do like cocaine and or crack and heroin and then we <laughs> we fall off the cliff right yeah. we start yeah and then um but for, for for people who don't I think that it's uh it just enhances life
0: I think the the conversation with you really made me start to understand what the addicts feels like because I, I just cannot understand them but now I start to Now you can identify
1: of, with it yeah, a little bit. It, yeah. of my eating
0: disorder. Like I really have no control of it. Uh, and uh, yeah, it will, it's not only the substance itself, but it's the emotions it will trigger. Uh, and the self-blend will trigger myself in. And mm-hmm. then into a, like a downward uh, spiral. Uh,
1: it's a weird thing because like you, you're eating it to feel better mm-hmm. and yet it makes you feel worse. This mm-hmm. is the, the fascinating mm-hmm. thing about addiction mm-hmm. and, um, and that said, like uh, it is an emotional need to mm-hmm. eat it, but I know that downward mm-hmm. spiral. Mm-hmm. I, I know it um, completely. The, uh, so good. I'm glad you have that parallel because mm-hmm. now you really do understand addiction. Okay. And you know this conversation is making me want french fries and weed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll
1: probably just have some French fries <laughs> I'll
0: probably just have some weed <laughs> Nice Cool, thank you so much for doing this
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on This is great, I appreciate it It was great getting to chat about all these things
0: Cool, thank you audience Uh, hope you learned something in this episode and uh, my if you are listening my next solo show is on 17th of December uh, and uh, I will, will do a few more sessions uh, in Berlin, it's called uh, Child from Wuhan, you can find the um, you <clears> can find <throat> the ticket at www.monijang.com and also you can uh, if you like my work, you can support me on Patreon And uh, just bounce me three euros or five euros per month and uh, support my work. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Moni. It's been a real joy. Thank you. Ciao, ciao.